Good evening and welcome once again to another episode of the Friday Night Parkdale Special. I'm your host Joyrider coming to you live from the Dollhouse in downtown Toronto with my feline co-hosts Chatty G, Silent J, and Floofmaster Toby. And this is episode 153. This week is a birthday episode and it's actually going to be a two-parter because there is a lot of material Mike Patton has one of the most unique voices out there, period. No qualifiers required. Six octaves, although he's quite humble about it and says, rightly so, that it doesn't matter how many octaves you have, it's really about what you do with them. But because of who he is as a person, pretty much everything he does turns out to be quite interesting. Since about his late teens, he's been an eclectic kind of guy collecting influences from far and wide. And this stems from his time working at a record store in Eureka, California. When he started there, he was more of a metalhead and his co-workers began to introduce him to broader ranging material like folk, jazz, all kinds of stuff that he had never really considered before then. And it opened his horizons. In addition to that, he studied English Lit in university, which was around the time that he actually joined Faith No More. That had a big influence on the kind of lyrics he wrote for the album The Real Thing, which brings me to a point that is not necessarily deep lore, but depending on when you began listening to Faith No More and how deeply you dug into their back catalogue, it could come as a surprise that my patent was not the first lead singer for Faith No More. In fact, Chuck Mosley, who was the lead singer that joined them on their first two albums, an argument could be made that he wasn't the first lead singer either. There were a number of different people, including Courtney Love, who fronted Faith No More for a time. But when it came down to it, Chuck Mosley got the gig and he would have probably been able to keep it had it not been for issues of substance use and addiction which interfered with the ability of the band to actually perform. His behavior became so erratic that the rest of the band couldn't work with him. In the end, one member quit and the rest of them followed him and left mostly behind. After the band and Chuck parted ways, Chuck went on to have other successful musical ventures, including heading up Bad Brains for a time, and got sober, and remained sober for a very long time, and even joined Faith No More on stage a couple of times over the years, performing with Mike Patton in a rendition of We Care A Lot in one instance, as well as on stage for the 30th anniversary of their first album, We Care A Lot. However, whether it was a result of money issues or the pressure of life, he ended up falling back into his addiction and succumbed to it in 2017, leaving behind two daughters and a longtime partner. He was 57. While this episode is going to primarily focus on Faith No More as it existed with Mike Patton, I want to set the stage by playing the song that got Faith No More into rotation and onto the radar. And this is, of course, We Care A Lot, of which there are 
a handful of versions. The original version was on the debut album We Care A Lot, which didn't see a wide release and so for a long time Introduce Yourself was really considered to be the debut album because it was most people's first introduction to Faith No More. The versions of We Care A Lot between those two first albums are different lyrically and because of the way that that set the expectation for people of what Faith No More would be, it's important to hear Chuck Mosley's version of it. So from 1987's Introduce Yourself, this is Faith No More, We Care A Lot.
Because Faith No More really only has seven albums in total, we're going to hear a lot from them. And because I grew up watching Much Music Spotlights, I have been reluctant to draw on that as an influence. Because, you know, you don't want to bite someone's style. But it's hard not to sometimes, particularly when you're talking about someone who has had such a broad-ranging influence on music and is still very much alive. I've often thought that it's a shame that some of the people I talk about in episodes, I only get to talk about them because they've died. It's nice to be able to focus on an artist with such a staggering body of work who is still alive. And so, going back now to the aftermath of the Fractious 1987 tour where Chuck Mosley made his departure from the band, this was when Mike Patton was brought in, around the time when they are first working on the album The Real Thing, 88 because it was released in 89, and it gels. They, I think, were surprised how well it all came together, but they had known him, or at least known of him, for a couple of years. They had heard a demo of Mike Patton's first band, Mr. Bungle, and that was actually what made them decide to bring him on board. The real thing was sort of an explosion of an album The video was a big part of how it took off. I remember it being in rotation regularly on Much Music, and I have no doubt it was the same on MTV in the States. And there was some controversy about it because at the end of the video, there is a live fish flopping around out of water. All of that stuff, plus some beef with Anthony Kiedis, who got it into his head that he had a copyright on being a pretty boy with long hair from the Bay Area. That kept them in the media, not for the right reasons, of course, but it did bring out a side of Mike Patton that continued for a long time. He had a real mischievous streak and enjoyed making up stories or shit-talking, basically just to amuse himself and to stir up trouble. So it's hard to know which of the stories are true and which are Mike Patton myth-making. So The Real Thing comes out in 1989, and this is where I became a fan of them. My friend Marcus, who was a table-topping, comic book-reading metalhead, introduced me to them. I loved it, although it took a little bit of warming up because it was a bit different than the metal I had been used to. But ironically, it's the metal that I think I still enjoy the most all these years later. It's aged pretty well, all things considered. So we're going to hear five or six selections from The Real Thing. And I may or may not go in the order from the album. First up from The Real Thing, this is From Out of Nowhere.
One of the things that Mike Patton has said about his voice and how he sings is that he treats his voice like an instrument. And while many singers will say that, I don't think they mean it in quite the same way, at least not outside of operatic circles. You can see when he's singing, the way that he shapes his mouth, it's about getting a very specific sound. And one of the articles I was reading mentioned that as a kid, his parents noticed that he would imitate sounds around him. He's been noted as having perfect pitch, and it makes me wonder if perfect pitch is a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Is it something that you are born with the possibility of, and it's only if you train it up that you gain mastery of it? Or is it something that can be learned? Just doing a quick search on the old Google machine seems to show evidence for both sides of that argument, and certainly in psychology. We learn that it's rarely nature or nurture, it's usually a combination of factors. So there's no reason why that wouldn't be the case here as well. Whatever the case, it's hard to imagine that that kind of repetition and practice wouldn't have an effect on the skill that one has with regards to being able to recognize pitches and reproduce them both accurately and efficiently. And that kind of imitation as well would get you thinking from a very early age about how to move the various parts of the anatomy associated with your voice in a way that would generate the kind of sound that you are aiming to produce. So again, making it more efficient, if only because it becomes second nature because of muscle memory. Patton goes on to say that as part of his process for writing lyrics, what he starts with is listening to the melody and hearing the kinds of sounds and melodies that he wants to pair with that music, and then trying to reproduce that sound using his mouth, adding lyric shapes to it as he goes. The words come after the shape of the sound, if, if that makes sense from The Real Thing, this is Surprise, You're Dead.
As much as the trend of reaction videos has kind of been beaten to death, there are still a few that I love. The twins reacting to Phil Collins in the air tonight and Dolly Parton's Jolene are ones that come to mind immediately, as is the hip-hop head listening to Slayer for the first time. And then there's the vocal coach listening to Mike Patton for the first time. The way her jaw drops and then she pauses the recording and looks at the camera and then goes into detail about the actual techniques that he is using to generate those sounds. It's really cool to hear from a professional vocal coach the kinds of mechanics that are involved and exactly how unusual it is to hear these techniques being employed in metal or rock or even pop and how difficult it can be for people to employ these techniques. It really contextualizes the amount of work and effort that Mike Patton puts into his performances. The more genres he explores, the broader his range of techniques become, and it's as though he collects these tools from every source that he can pull in order to broaden and better his own work, regardless of whether he's pulling from soca or opera or throat singing. He treats singing as a craft and is always on the lookout for new ways to push the limits of his voice and his craft. And that's pretty cool. Next up, this is Falling to Pieces.
when I was in high school, I was in a couple of bands and I loved stretching my own vocal muscle by singing along with recordings of Faith No More, among others, but Mike Patton in particular presented a fun challenge. And I get what he's saying about that value of pushing yourself, shaping that precise sound. I used to imitate incidental noises as a little kid as well. Still on The Real Thing, this is The Morning After.
The Real Thing is one of those albums that I listened to so much on cassette that my brain just immediately hops to the next song on the album, which is Woodpecker from Mars, coincidentally. And it's one of my favorite instrumentals. I didn't know what to make of it when I first heard it, but it really grew on me over the years. But that's not what we're going to listen to next. We're going to listen to the one that was the big hit from this album. From Faith and Moore's The Real Thing, this is Epic. So sweet. 
at the time I was still taking piano lessons and playing at least an hour a day. And I went out and tried to find, uh, well, actually did find a book of the music for the real thing. I wanted sheet music for that piano part. <laughs> and instead, I believe that the book was just tab. And so even if I converted it, it would have been for the guitar parts, not the piano. Womp. So I think we all really got our first sense of the breadth of the kind of influences that the guys were pulling from with this next track from The Real Thing, which is the last one I'm going to play from it. This is The Edge of the World.
So a couple years go by, and then Angel Dust comes out. And it's one of those albums that is enough of a departure from their previous album that there's some trepidation about it. I know for myself, I wasn't sure what to make of it at first. I wanted to like it. I really did. It took more than a couple of listens for it to really get under my skin. And yet, when I think about it now, I would say that it's probably my favorite album of theirs. So I'm glad I stuck with it. (laughs) It was also at this time that one of the earlier members of Faith No More made his exit from the band, saying that he didn't really like the change in direction and it wasn't his sound anymore. That's okay. They brought in one of the guys from Mr. Bungle and continued on. From Angel Dust, this is Land of Sunshine.
it's not uncommon for me to get sing and rejoice, sing and rejoice stuck in my head at random. So there were some radio friendly singles on the album and the first one was this, Midlife Crisis.
You better believe that was in heavy rotation on my playlists in my late 30s. <laughs> One of the other things that uh, Patton mentions when he's talking about his process with writing music is, as I mentioned, he tends to write the melodies for vocals first, and the lyrics follow based on what word shapes best fit that sound shape that he perceives in his head. Sometimes the shape of the sound that he's going for requires layers, and thus we end up with what you hear at the end of that previous song. Another one that got a lot of rotation for me, this is Everything's Ruined.
Next, another one that ends up being a little anthemic for me from time to time. This is Be Aggressive. The next episode, I'll talk more about some of his vocal influences, but one that may be evident in this next track is Tom Waits. This is RV. 
I think it's time to talk to my kids. I just tell them what my daddy told me. You ain't never gonna amount to nothing. And on the heels of that, there was a very brief gap, and then they put out an EP. And it's one of those things that most people overlook. They tend to remember the songs having been put onto a deluxe edition of Angel Dust Down the Road, but they originally came out on the EP Songs to Make Love To. One of the other major influences Mike Patton has cited is Motown, which of course includes the Commodores. And the big track from the 1993 EP Songs to Make Love To, which features two rhinoceroses on the front going to town on each other, is the Commodore's song, Easy.
actually have my copy of the cassette right in front of me and they have marked it as a cassette maxi single. I suppose that's probably more accurate than an EP given that it's only four tracks. But when I think of a single, that was usually only one or two songs repeated on each side. Eh, who might argue with them? So this cassette maxi single was covers. It was all covers. There was a version of Midnight Cowboy, instrumental, really nice. There was also a cover of a Dead Kennedys song, which is actually how I first learned about this song via Faith No More. This is Let's Lynch the Landlord. couple of years would pass before we would hear from Faith No More again. The next album they released was called King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, and 
it did not do as well as their previous albums, with critics deriding it as being somewhat derivative of itself, as well as lacking direction and a sense of internal cohesion, that it was trying to do too many things at once. Part of the issue would have been as well that by 1995, music was in a different place, and Faith No More wasn't there. They hadn't hopped onto the electronic uh, bandwagon as many other artists had. And on the one hand, good for them for not caving to what must have felt like industry pressure, but it did position them as being outsiders, particularly because they weren't really part of that new metal scene either, although a case could certainly be made for them having been the progenitors of that. From 1995's King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, this is Ricochet.
you can kind of hear what the critics mean. It's not a bad song. It's just it doesn't have the same kind of impact or oomph that some of their earlier material did. Still on King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, this is Take This Bottle. Take this bottle And just walk away Take this bottle 
the variety of instruments that they had chosen to use in that one is what makes it for me. One more from King for a Day. This one is called The Gentle Art of Making Enemies. come to 1997 and album of the year. Rumors had started to circulate around this time that the band was going to break up and those rumors may have been prescient. 
First up from that album, this is Strip Search.
also on that album, the standout Last Cup of Sorrow.
I honestly can't remember if I've played the next one on the show before, but it is my absolute favorite from this album. It's called Ashes to Ashes. was the last that they put out for a very long time. But then there were rumors. And the rumors led to teasers. 
and the teasers led to this song, which was nicknamed Leader of Men. It was released in 2015 on Soul Invictus as the track Superhero.
It's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that this album came out almost 10 years ago. I remember looking at the listing when it was coming out and there were a couple of different options for the vinyl and the Wasteland and I were like, oh my god, we have to get the gold. And we did. Man, time passes fast. The next song up off that album, with all due apologies to our dear Tipper Gore, this is Motherfucker. Force-fed more than we'd eat in the wild Grazed on a mash that could suffocate a child Bloated, promoted in an ode to pomp and style Moisten in the feed while we choke upon the bile Corner in the market on the geese without the bones Hushing out the public in a strike without a drone The cage became collapsible, our sticks and with the stones Get the motherfucker on the phone
All right, last one for the night. This is one that I suspect many of us can think of someone who we'd like to sing this to. This is Cone of Shame.
that's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to have you share some of your week with me. If you'd like to support the show, go to thefnps.com. All those social media links are at the top of the page, including my coffee link and the show's Patreon link. Patrons get access to extra goodies, but you know what else helps if you're tight on cash? Liking the show, leaving a positive review sharing episodes you enjoy, following the show on social media. More earballs equals more better. And I continue to be doing work on the site, so hey, keep an eye on that, because I'm feeling like it's looking pretty good. Don't forget, next Friday, there will not be a live broadcast. It will be straight to podcast, because I'm going to go see Information Society live. Woo! As always, be well and stay safe. And we'll see you next week. Have a good one.